1: How do we straddle the balance? with At the same point, welcoming and extending the kind of grace that we know about in the story of Jesus with the adulterous woman. We want to do that. But at the same time, we cannot condone sin. And so there's this tension, and that's what we're trying to get at. How do we cultivate a church culture where the holiness of God is thriving in the same soil? as the grace for sinners.
0: How can you love someone well and show grace while also telling them of sin and the need for repentance? That's the question Pastor Robert and Elizabeth are exploring in today's message, taking an example from Jesus and his interaction with a woman caught in a delicate and sinful situation. Now here's Pastor Robert and Elizabeth in the book of John chapter eight as they begin their message, Culture of Honor.
2: Adulterous woman was thrown at Jesus feet she knew the punishment it was public stoning the fact that she was caught in the very act only heightened the shame and intensified her fear of a painful death her accusers stood with confidence because of the fact that the law of God supported their position they held the stones that would soon take her life while she waited for them to display their outrage for her complete disregard of God's standard of holiness. Then the master began to write in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. All we know is that the atmosphere created by the writings of the grace giver completely disarmed her accusers. They fled as the grace of God drove away the judgments of men as quickly as light displaces darkness. Grace is that superior. No one needed to tell her to put her faith in Christ. The atmosphere of grace made faith in Jesus the most logical response. Perhaps this is why the apostle Paul taught us that faith is according to grace. Grace is the atmosphere created by love that makes faith the only reasonable response. Few things overwhelm me more than an authentic display of the grace of God. Whenever the presence of God enables a person to become free from lifelong issues, you can't help but be amazed at such a wonderful Savior. But grace goes beyond healing from the past. It also launches us into our divine destinies. That's a quote from Bill Johnson. This story from John chapter eight always grabs me. It kind of stops me in my tracks. You know, I've shared this story with you guys. I well remember being refused access to a basketball game in a church gym when I was, oh, about 14 or 15 years old. The, the weather was awful and my, my ride had left, but that didn't matter to the self-righteous people who were blocking the door and denying me entrance to that gymnasium. You need a haircut, boy, if you want to come in here. And even though I wasn't, yeah, it's kind of ironic now, right? (laughs) They let me in today, no problem. And you know, I, I wasn't the least bit convicted about the length of my hair. I didn't feel like I was in sin, but I but I still felt embarrassed that night. almost immediately, I got angry, but that initial reaction was shock and shame because I was treated shamefully. There's something inside us that responds to the way we're treated. Even if logically we can refute it, we can deal with it. You know, you, you might think, you know, shame on them. But, but I still felt that stain of reproach that night. Now, do you think I was more prone to go to church after that or Less. Less. But you see, I've also been the one to discover sin in somebody else, grievous sin, sin that couldn't be ignored, sin that had to be dealt with. And I've, I've had sleepless nights over how to respond at times, you know, the, torn between the responsibility to protect the church, protect the body of Christ, protect the sheep, if you will, and the obligation, to, the need to minister to the individual. On one hand, I always prefer to hope for the best when I'm dealing with someone. Elizabeth always used to joke about my eagerness to give people the benefit of the doubt. She would tease me. I, I remember the big one was the Scott Peterson trial because I was convinced the guy was innocent
1: because his mom said so.
2: Because his mom said so. It just yeah. he just seemed like such a nice guy. You know, I just didn't. <laughs> Just didn't think it could possibly be true that I didn't know him, but believing the best when, uh, when most everybody else could see the person's obvious guilt. And that was true, not just somebody on TV, but people in my own life. But that was then. You know, the wear and tear of decades of ministry have made me a little bit quicker to believe that, well, people are capable of anything. Apart from the grace of God, there is no depth of depravity to which we will not sink. And as I've said before, I know that's true for me. It's something that I've often contemplated, the fact that I'm capable of anything I've ever read about or been disgusted by. And whether you believe it or not, so are you. So maybe that cynicism makes me a little bit quicker to believe the worst in people now rather than the best. But I still hate it when I have to discipline somebody else's sin. And as a pastor, sometimes I do. In the letter to the churches in the book of Revelation, Jesus personally holds the pastor of each church responsible for what he tolerates within the body of believers he oversees
1: which makes it super difficult. You know, it is a super difficult task, not just for the pastor, but for all of us. How do we straddle the balance with, at the same point, welcoming and extending the kind of grace that we know about in the story of Jesus with the adulterous woman? We want to do that. But at the same time, we cannot condone sin. And so there's this tension, and that's what we're trying to get at. How do we cultivate a church culture where the holiness of God is thriving in the same soil as the grace for sinners. Do you follow me? It's a tension. Both are equally important. I don't think you can suspend one to give the other preference. Both are equally important, and it's an impossible thing. And I was wrestling with that one night because righteous indignation had gotten the best of me. I had been in a situation recently where where I was right, <laughs> but it didn't feel right. And Erica, my accountability partner, was present, and she was like, you got to get a grip on that. That you got to get a grip on that. And I'm like, but I was right, but it wasn't right. You can be right without it being right. It didn't feel right. James one twenty says that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And the problem is that when we are right, everything else goes away, but it's just right. I can't... But somehow the righteousness of God is not the fruit of that. And so that drove me. I mean, I knew I could hear, she was right, I gotta get a grip on that. What is that? Because I couldn't argue myself away from the fact that it was a necessary problem to address, but it didn't feel right. So so that night when I came home, I began to just hear this term that I'd heard from Wyom Youth with a Mission in Orlando use it, they use it like an everyday term. And I didn't, hadn't really thought about it till that night when it began nagging at me, culture of honor, a culture of honor. We have cultivated a culture of honor. Everyone at that campus will talk about And I'm like, how did they do that? And what does it mean? And so I began to, I, I was texting with them and asking them and pursuing it, what does it mean to cultivate a culture of honor? Because I know what they've wrestled with. I know that sin is not welcome. It's not a culture of cheap grace.
0: One may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This verse is from the book of Ecclesiastes, and this is at the very heart of the vision for this special Friday edition of Main Thing Radio. Jesus